Hey guys, welcome to the Grow from the Ground Up podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm Ashley and will be your host through the monthly grain segment of the podcast brought to you by Landis Grow Solution Center. On our first episode, I have one of our merchandisers in to talk through a recap of Wednesday's WASD report, the current trade inverse, a first look at what's going on during our acreage report, and honestly, what the heck is going on in Ukraine. On Wednesday's WASD report, we saw what feels honestly like a dud. Of course, none of the Ukraine news was built into this report. The current trade inverse has everyone involved in the markets high on their toes with May to July hanging around a 20 to 30 cent inverse. And honestly, with so much volatility that we have seen in the grain markets, so many grain facilities and companies are making decisions such as suspending cash bids for overnight trade, rolling futures out of the May and into the July, and widening basis for old and new crop. In Ukraine, I feel like really this entire podcast today could be spent talking about Ukraine and Russia. So for starters, we're seeing what feels like movement from very targeted attacks to now more civilian areas and huge port towns on the Black Sea. Sanctions and punishing restrictions put in place by many NATO countries and international companies that are cutting ties with Russia just continue to snowball. Last week, the U.S. announced the ban of Russian crude oil imports. As for grains, Ukraine makes up one-third of the world's wheat production, 17% of the global export supply in corn, and the fourth largest corn exporter. And add to the mix of everything else that's happening in the markets, we've got an acreage report at the end of the month, which gives us the planning intentions coming out on March 31st. And honestly, this report always gives me GBs because it's always a market mover, or at least when we're not in the current war situation. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up and get started with my conversation with Jim. As a reminder, if you're interested in the daily market commentary from Landis, please visit our website at www.landiscooperative.com to receive an email each day with our updates. Jim, welcome to the podcast. And you should feel completely honored because you are our first guest on. <laughs> I'm very honored to be here. Excited. So Jim is one of our Landis team merchandisers. And honestly, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I always call you for some insight in all my dumb questions as a grain originator. So you were a super easy first for us to bring on and have talk to our growers. So excited to have you. So Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and really what you do for Landis each day. Sure. My name is Jim Engler, and like you said, I work on the merchandising team here. Cover a lot of various roles, uh, primarily managing our risk in our corn and bean positions through hedging and trading activities, and get to work with folks like you every day on our origination staff to uh, make sure we're answering our members' needs as far as their you know their grain marketing goes. And yeah, excited to be here. So. Well, cool. And congrats, by the way. You just had a brand new baby, so back in the swing of things. Yeah, getting back in the swing of things here, and uh, we're excited to have a new addition to our family. It's pretty fun. Well, congratulations. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into a recap of the WASD report from last week. And just a quick note for our listeners, we use a lot of acronyms in the grain world. So WASD stands for the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates. And this report is reached on a monthly basis. So Jim, I've got my own thoughts, but you tell us your thoughts on this month's report. And I'd like to know, does it actually even matter? Like with everything going on with Russia, right? In Ukraine. <laughs> sure. I mean, it matters. Anytime the government is going to give us data that helps us solve the question of supply and demand, it, it matters, right? You know, so... While it wasn't uh, probably the most prevalent headline, 
uh, that was going on last week. We still need to take a look at it. We still need to digest the information. Um, you know, the, U- the USDA came out. You know, we lowered ending stocks by about 100 million bushels on corn, you know, primarily due to a little bit of increase in exports, a little bit of increase uh, in ethanol production. And then when we look at soybeans, you know, we took the ending stocks, you know, down a little bit again. You know, we're at 285 million bushels on the ending stocks. So we're starting to get tighter, right? The, the overall theme from that report is, you know, the ending stock numbers are getting smaller, which means there's a less of supply available for the market. But at the end of the day, you know, big, big macro market news going on. So while the, the trade looked at it, it traded it for a couple minutes. And then we moved on to, you know, what's going on, you know, in Ukraine and Russia, what's going on in South America. Um, we really moved on from this report pretty quickly, it feels like. No doubt. And since this is our first grain podcast here at Landis, I mean, give our listeners, they probably know if they're listening into this, but I mean, remind us, ending stocks are what and why are they important, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about the the WASD report, right, you basically start with, okay, how many acres did you plant? What did it yield? And how many bushels were sitting in the bin from last year? So we take those numbers and we have, okay, this is the available supply of corn, beans, wheat. And then we figure out how much we're going to use in ethanol production and feed production. How much are we going to export to another country? Um, how much are we going to use for food and seed and residuals? And so then we have a demand. So we have a known supply. We have a known uh usage and that number we subtract those two numbers together and we get an ending stock so this is how many bushels of stuff is going to be in the bin on september 1st when we get ready to go harvest our next round of crops perfect well thanks for that i feel like it it just helps put things in perspective right if you're not actively doing maybe what you or i do every single day here yep Okay, I want to go ahead and shift our conversation into what really happened last week, (laughs) specifically to the crazy inverses that we saw. Um, Let's go ahead and talk first what was happening between May and July. Yeah, so I mean, last week is one of those weeks that they're going to write about in the history books, right? (laughs) Not only in the grain world, but obviously, you know, from from a world history perspective. And so, you know, when you talk about what happened between May and July futures, uh, you got to start thinking about the market participants. Who participates in the market? So you have, you know, farmers, right? You have end users of corn, and then you also have, uh, you know, speculative type individuals. And so what you saw, you know, with the Russian, you know, military actions happening in Ukraine, you know, there's a lot of grain that's grown in Ukraine. We, we all know that, right? And we're and the, we're starting to disrupt that flow to the oh, world, yeah. right? I mean, it's, you know, you start hearing rumors of all these different things. And, and if you look at a map, right, you look at where Ukraine is and you look at where the Corn Belt in, in the U.S. is, they're relatively on the same longitudes, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you're basically talking about the Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska of Europe. And, and so when we start to disrupt that flow, you know, now we need to figure out how to solve the rest of the problem. So what we saw with these disruptions is, and it was very well broadcast, everybody saw what was going on, right? Um, the speculative crowd really started to pile in, um, corn, wheat in particular, right? Because those are the two staple crops that we see come out of, out of Ukraine, and they wanted to buy things, right? So the speculative crowd came in and they bought, and they bought the May contract, more so than they bought the July contract. Typically, these, you know, these funds and these speculative crowds, they're going to operate in that front one or two months. And in this case, they chose the May. And that's why you saw May gain so much on the July and really push that spread, which when we talk spread, this is the difference between, you know, month to month. In this case, we're talking the difference between the May and the July price. And that's what really pushed that spread out. 
and it was it was crazy. It was wild. It certainly was. <laughs> um, I mean, we've we've got ranges. You know, you've got a range in that spread from you know a five cent inverse all the way up to almost a sixty cent inverse. You know, here at Landis, we're not in the wheat market, but man, if you want to see some volatility, check out the wheat market. Uh, yes. You had five days of you know wheat moving quote unquote limit up their price limit you know there's limits to how much the grain markets can go up or down every day and basically wheat didn't trade for five days <laughs> you know de- determining the fair market value of wheat for almost a week was borderline impossible mm-hmm. so these are things we've never you know very rarely do we see them people write stories about them and it's it's a good opportunity to learn it's a good opportunity for growers to take advantage of volatility it also pushes the risk envelope a lot yeah <laughs> right? well, i mean that's with with volatility and and risk risk and opportunity you could say are the same thing right no so doubt. it was it was a week for the books that's for sure well hey congrats on uh, getting to be a part of a historical event right like <laughs> same to you we're same gonna to tell you. our grandkids about this someday absolutely so all right, help me out. Let's say, you know, you're talking to one of my farmers that I work mm-hmm. with every single day. Let's say you've still got 20% of your old crop on farm. Yep. Why is that inverse from May to July such a huge deal? Yeah, so, you know, when we talk about inverses and carries, right, uh, the opposite of an inverse is a carry. That's the market trying to figure out when does this grain need to move. I mean, if you think about, you know, supply chains and, and specifically corn, beans, wheat, whatever, you know, we take... 365 days worth of usage and we harvest it in 30 to 45 days Mm -hmm. and it's the market's job to figure out how to take you know all this supply that needs to last 365 days that all comes available in the first 30 to 40 days and how it meters that out the rest of the year so that's one of the levers the market has to to incentivize grain to move you know when we have these inverses and and what you saw last week was really kind of counterintuitive in the in the merchandising 101 handbook it kind of broke some of the rules you had a spread that was that was running hot and, and blowing way out and telling the farmer, bring your grain today, bring your grain today. But then you had a basis that yeah. said, hey, 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 man, we don't need all this stuff. <laughs> Slow down. And so while you saw the spread run 30, 40 cents, you also saw the basis step back 20, 30, 40 cents in some markets, right? So it was kind of counterintuitive. We'll see how it plays out. But I mean, you know, if you're a farmer with that 20% left, uh, in the bin. Number one, congratulations. You've done a great <laughs> job marketing your grain so far. Um, you've managed risk pro- you know, properly. You're going to have a profitable year, which is awesome. Those are things to celebrate. This last 20% here, the market's not really telling you, the futures market's not really telling you to hold on to it, but the basis mm-hmm. world kind of is. So there, you're going to kind of have to try to thread the needle here a little bit. But unless you have hedges, and if you're a farmer with hedges, we could spend a whole podcast on, on oh, how to yeah. deal with that. But unless you have hedges, if you're just truly flat price exposed on this last 20%, it's probably okay to leave it in there because there's, you know, you want to have some bullets a little bit here to take advantage of any more opportunities, but you really need to just start to look at, you know, what is your, what is your local market look like? When is the, when is the local market asking you to bring their grain? I mean, you know, we're sitting here this week and the farmer engaged really heavily last week and the market is trying to digest essentially 12 months worth of grain in the first five months. So it's, yeah. it's asking you to wait a little bit here, but at the same time, if you're unpriced, and you don't have hedges, I wouldn't worry so much about the basis and the spreads. The, the <laughs> Can you just repeat that again? Because this is a conversation I have every day, right? Right. You're telling guys, don't get so caught up in the basis. I'm saying that the risk lies in the board much more than it does in your basis and in your spreads. I mean, I'm sitting here today as we record this, there's a 20 cent range between the high and the low in July corn futures. 
right? Your basis didn't move that much today. Yeah. So your risk is definitely in the board today. Keep an eye on that. Don't let the last little bit, the last 10, 15 cents of this $7 plus corn you know, <laughs> that you have, don't trip over that last little bit waiting out. That, that's my recommendation. I think that's where the risk is. Generally speaking, I'm more of a risk averse person. Oh yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a grower, right? I mean, you have a lot of things you got to do, right? You got to, you got to be able to operate equipment. You got to know your agronomy science. You know, you got to understand, you got to be understanding your accounting, HR, all those different things. And one of those jobs is risk management, yeah. right? And you're looking to avoid the potholes. So just, you know, the board is where the risk really is today. Well, I love that. Um, one more question that I have for you is truly help me out here, right? Mm-hmm. So, I talked a little bit in the beginning about different companies, grain facilities taking protection or, or you know, taking different ways of or protecting ourselves during this crazy time. Mm-hmm. So what's, you know, a couple ways that Landis is maybe protecting itself against that crazy inverse? Um, you know, as a basis, what are we what do we got going on? You know, one thing you saw and you saw it a lot around a lot of different uh, markets, wheat, corn, even beans, you know, you saw posted bids go from the May futures to the July futures. And we're sitting here, you know, we're recording this on March 10th. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are we doing versus the July futures? Well, <laughs> because, because of all the speculative money and all the unknowns, the market wanted to find a way to kind of alleviate that. And, and so now you're bidding off of July futures as July was viewed as a much safer month, an easier month to determine fair market value more so than May. So it's just Again, I, I wouldn't get hung up in the spreads and the basis as a grower. Again, I'd be worrying about your cash price, but if you're unhedged, I'll, yeah. I'll preference it with that. But uh, it was just a safer place to be. The, the market might come back um, to, to, yeah. to the May, but in you know, in a crazy you know, once every 10, 20, 30 year environment, you saw people look for safe haven, and it was safer in the July. Well, I love what you said because. So I obviously work, you know, with farmers every single day in our origination role. And it's been really difficult these last couple of days, right? Because we have a handful of our facilities or most of our facilities are bidding off of the July. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our competitors are still bidding off the May. And so it's taken a lot of time in every conversation. And the only thing that I ever want to say is just look at the cash price. Right. And if you're not selling 720 cash or whatever cash is, what do you wait? Like, what do you want, man? You know? Right. And so um, I think it's a crazy emotional world, but I, I love those points there. Yeah, it's uh, there, there's a lot going on. But it, uh, again, like I think you're dead on with look at the cash price. You know, those things are moving, you know, the spread moving around. I mean, we got a five, six cents range in the spread today. So when you're comparing, you need to make sure you're looking at the proper futures month. And, and overall, right, the overall story that, that happened in the cash market, uh, not the futures market, but the cash market, your local cash market, is basis did come back, mm-hmm. right? Price ran 30, 40 cents. Basis gave up, you know, roughly somewhat the, similar to that because the local market didn't necessarily need all this grain right this second. It's awesome. Let the farmer take advantage of these higher prices. But it's asking you to wait a little bit. I mean, if you're trying to deliver corn to your local ethanol plant today, they may or may not have have hours. And and you could hold a a county farm bureau meeting because everybody's in line trying to deliver their corn. I mean, that's what I think is crazy, right, is the farmer definitely wants to sell corn. And Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty nice for March, right? And it feels like the farmer needs a little bit of cash. But, but yeah, that's what not only I feel like personally we saw, you know, basis widen out Mm -hmm. because of everything that's happening in spreads. But one, because so many of these dang end users are plumpful. Plumpful for right now. Yeah, I mean, the the market, the farmer has really, you know, generally speaking, the farmer's done a really good job marketing Mm -hmm. these grain. And, you know, the market 
needs somebody to hold on to that green. You know, the WASDE report just said on September 1st, there's going to be 1.4 billion bushels of corn in yeah. somebody's bin. We can't just shove it all into the marketplace right now. So that's what the that's what the spreads and the basis is trying to figure out. When you think about spreads and basis, it solves for two things. It solves for where does the corn need to go and when does it need to get there. And right now they're kind of contradicting each other a little bit, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Moving on to Ukraine, and I mean, I honestly have no idea where to start with this topic. I I think we could run this whole podcast, as I said, just about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. But I think specifically for this podcast, let's go ahead and start with the question that my farmers that I work with every single day are asking. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, (laughs) but does Ukraine get a crop planted? I think they'll get something planted. They're not going to sit on zero, right? I mean, you see how resilient these folks are they're right i mean these stories you're seeing are are incredible they're going to get something planted where does it the the big question in my mind is how much and and what happens once they grow it Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean you're starting to look at disruptions you know to the port of odessa right that's their major that's that's their new orleans yeah right you know you're looking at huge disruptions and can they rail things over into you know into western europe into germany and poland different places like that i think they'll get it planted they'll get something planted Mm -hmm. but that's just part of the equation, right? Oh, well, yeah. Once you plant, once you plant the crop, you got to turn that crop into currency somehow. You do, um, and and you know, back to your analogy that you used earlier that I really loved. I mean, they are truly in the same you know area or, or longitude that we are, right? So, I mean, they're going to be planting their crop a lot around the same time as the Iowa farmer would. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely going to be something to watch here. Mm-hmm. Um, next question that I have for you, and I think it's a question even before all of this Ukraine and Russia happenstance has been going on. The Iowa farmer, I think, sometimes forget forgets about how important wheat is mm-hmm. um, when it relates to the corn market. So mm-hmm. can you touch on, especially right now, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but wheat's been, like, absolutely nuts. Yes. Um, why does this matter to the Iowa corn farmer? Yeah, I mean, you know, the wheat market, you know, has been seen historic volatility. Volatility mm-hmm. we haven't seen since really 2008. And why, so why does that matter, right? The, the wheat acres in Iowa are unchanged at zero yeah. <laughs> this year, right? So, <laughs> But, uh, you know, if you think about wheat, there, there's a couple of different things, right? Number one, it takes up, it can add or subtract, you know, acres from corn, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a competing acre. And the other thing too is it can make its way into a feed ration. You can take wheat, you can feed it to steers and different things like that, or you can even make ethanol out of it in, in certain parts of the uh, the country where wheat's more readily available. But right now you have a wheat commodity that wants to be <laughs> somewhere between <laughs> 10 and $13 where you still have a corn commodity that's, you know, seven, you know, six to eight, right? Mm-hmm. So you're probably, you know, one thing that we've, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And as this, you know, as the North American farmer starts to think about what he's going to plant, not so much here in Iowa, but probably bought some wheat acres, probably bought some corn acres. I don't know that we bought any soybean acres mm-hmm. out of all this, right? But the, the moral of the story too, right, is we need acres of stuff, yeah, right? They, I mean, yeah. we just talked about on the, you know, the WASD report just showed us 285 million bushels of ending stocks. There's a lot of people that want to tell you that's still high. Yeah. So, you know, beans are tight, corn's tight, wheat's tight. We need stuff, mm-hmm. right? And that's and that's a big overarching, you know, that that's a theme that's not going to go away for the next 12, 24 months. Gotcha. So moving on to our last topic that I really, really want to get your insight on. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it is the upcoming acreage report, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> again, like I have the question of like, 
is this report really important right now? And I think I probably know your answer on that. But secondly, like, what do we even expect to see out of this? Yeah, th- this one's going to be a big one, oh, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got to start to, you know, if we believe there's true supply disruptions in Ukraine, which hard to fathom that there's not something going, you know, mm-hmm. a big disruption going on there, we need to start solving for that problem. And it's the market's job to solve for these problems, right? So this report's going to matter. Um, the risk envelope's going to get really pushed. You're going to see some dynamic moves on the 31st. We had the USDA Outlook uh, Forum back at the end of February. You know, they basically said, okay, 92 million acres of corn, 88 million acres of beans, which is generally what the market kind of felt was gonna they were going to say. Um, but a lot's changed since then. A lot right? has changed in the last day, Jim. I mean. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and it's important to remember too, right? Like, that economic forum that they put out, that that estimate, that's just that's just somebody's estimate, right? They, oh yeah. That that's based off of historical patterns. Whereas the report that we'll get at the end of March, those surveys are going out as we record this, right? Mm-hmm. So these are physical surveys that people go out and fill out. Yeah. And, and you know we'll see what that's going to do. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that equation. I mean, uh, I know the the podcast is going to talk on this, but uh, obviously the fertilizer world matters, especially oh when we talk about yeah. Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Uh, specifically. Russia. I mean, Russia is the low-cost producer of the world of fertilizers, and if you can, if that stuff's not going to leave the country and not become available, what does it all do? My bias here today, and by the time this gets released, it might be different. But uh, exactly. Um, but my bias sitting here today is we probably bought some corn acres at the expense of beans, and we definitely yeah. bought some wheat acres. But again, the, the moral of the story is we need acres of stuff, and. Uh, the USDA is going to give us a, a good look at that here at the end of the month, and you know, be you know, I'm an Iowa State football fan, right? Oh, yeah. So go Clones. Um, you know, so Iowa State wears black jerseys. You know, when it's a big game, the 31st, that's a black jersey day. Yeah, right. That's when it's going to matter. Things are going to happen. This is a you are you are not farm visiting day. You are truly in front of your computer the entire day. Um, and just a note for our listeners, I mean, if you're actively farming, we're going to throw something in our show notes where we can ask you about, you know, what do you think you're going to plant? We're actually working with um, another company to try to get some surveys on that. Um, so if you're willing to give us that, um, feel free to click the link in our show notes and just give us a look at what you're thinking about planting. All right, Jim. So to wrap this up, and, and I asked you a little bit about this earlier, but I want to know your final answer. You're a farmer, or you're giving advice to a farmer. You haven't sold much new crop corn. Um, you're not hedged on the Dees board. Mm-hmm. At this point, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Dees futures and, and really that new crop basis? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the literal million-dollar question. Oh, right? yeah. The risk envelope really has been pushed here, right? Mm-hmm. You've probably paid for some high-priced fertilizer. Diesel fuel isn't getting any cheaper. The seed cost is what the seed costs are, right? And after after you've absorbed all those costs, the market's still giving you an opportunity of profit, right? Yeah. The market doesn't guarantee anybody a profit in anything. Oh, right? gosh, no. so, <laughs> I wish it did. <laughs> so, I mean, you need to start managing some risk here, right? Mm-hmm. Layering in some sales. Now, I'm not saying... Sell 110% of the crop. That That's far from what I'm saying. I think being somewhere between 30 to 40% is proper risk management here, at least hedged. 100%, um, yeah. You know, one thing you ask about basis, and what is new crop basis going to be like? There's a lot of varying opinions, right? If, if Ukraine can't export during their harvest seasons and different things like that, and the U.S. needs to make up for that, are we going to try to pull, you know, a, a corn program 
in the fall when we're typically shipping beans, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of unknowns in in the basis world. I kind of go back to what I was saying about old crop. I think your risk is more so in the, in, in the board than Mm -hmm. it is the basis. You know, at 650, you know, we're, we're hovering around a 650 type board, you know, those, those, I mean, those are great levels. Right? I mean, to sell, you know, I think about a lot of my local markets or my local locations, you're looking at a 45 to 50 on your basis. You're above six bucks straight off the combine today. Yeah. I mean, I'm a farm kid. I live with the farmer. Like, those are pretty good levels, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it's just about managing, it managing risk. And, and, and you want some, you want to have the opportunity to take advantage of if there's another event, right? And in having some some flexibility, right, and, and having some grain that you can bring to the market if the market wants it. So I yeah. I don't want to be short, right? No. And, and, and the farmer's never really short, right? That that's kind of one thing you hear. The farmer's never really short. He can always sell the next crop, right? But I still think you know you've paid for the high price fertilizer, the diesel fuels there. Like yeah. you've absorbed a lot of body blows, right? As far as the expense side of the equation of growing a crop. And you still got a lot of profit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think like to your point, right, like it's so hard and, and it's partly our job, right, to help the farmer take some emotion out of this cash mm-hmm. sale or or hedge position sale. So I really appreciate what you're saying there. And um, hopefully all my farmers are listening for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so Jim, anything else you want to add before we go ahead and wrap this up here today? No, I mean, I, I think there's a lot going on. And, you know, farming in today's world is just getting more and more complex, getting more and more, you know, the risk envelope, like I've said a couple times now, is getting pushed further and further. So, you know, lean on your local support. Right. That's that's as a as the co-op. That's what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Is we're here to help with these things. And whether it's agronomy or feed or or grain, you know, we're we're here to help manage through these things and, and just lean on us. And that's what we're here for. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate your time. You are one busy dude right now. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you stepping away and giving us some insider insight to really what is all going on today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I just want to thank Jim one more time for joining me today. I always appreciate that insight and look at the markets and honestly all that the merchandising and risk protection that our Landis merchandising team does for our farmers. So thanks for listening into our first episode of Grow From The Ground Up. And please just remember to join us monthly, but for a special edition recap of the Acres Report on April 5th, we'll be joined with Janet Smith, who is a Landis legend. Grow from the Ground Up is brought to you by the Landis Grow Solutions Center. Hello, I'm Molly Toot, and I lead the grow business here at Landis. We thank you for joining us today as we launch a new way to connect with our farmers through the Grow from the Ground Up podcast. The Grow Solutions Center is a virtual hub of experts in agronomy, data, grain, and more to provide solutions to farmers' questions and respond quickly and with agility. In support of the Landis field staff, the Grow Solutions Center offers another connection point within Landis. Whether your question is about grain, marketing, agronomy, carbon programs, your Landis account, or any other topic, the Grow Solutions Center team is available to work with you. The hours for the Grow Solutions Center are 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Take a minute and write this number down, 515-800-GROW. Again, that is 515-800-4769. Or you can email us at growsc at landis.ag. 
Also, be sure to ask about the Landis Grow Rewards Program and how you and a guest can qualify for an all-expense-paid trip to Margaritaville in sunny Hollywood, Florida, December 12th through 15th. Not only is this a great destination, we'll make sure you get value from a robust educational program that leaves plenty of time for networking and fun in the sun. Don't wait. Contact the Grow Solutions Center today to find out how far you are from qualifying for the trip. Again, the number is simple, 515-800-GROW. We look forward to having you join us next time for Grow from the Ground Up, brought to you by the Landis Grow Solutions Center.